Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase, get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Stephen Joe, journalist and writer, with me in studio. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to see you again. Good to see you too. Today on the show, the Manchurian candidates, Beijing secretly funded 11 federal candidates, but don't worry about that. Also... The kids are not all right. Children are suffering in hospitals across Canada with preventable respiratory illnesses. If only there was some sort of small, readily available object that could prevent against that. (laughs) Welcome back to the show, Stephen. Uh, This is Shortcuts, where we talk shit about the news. This episode is brought to everybody by Melissa Watt, Suzanne Galloway, Haley McDonald, Connor Brown, Michael Iberson, Brendan Ridley, Eric Frank, and Sarah. Hi, I'm Sarah. I'm a registered social worker, a therapist, and a part-time college professor in Barrie, Ontario. And I support Canada Land because they create a platform and give visibility to stories that otherwise only live in the margins of mainstream media. This show has consistently taught me so much about journalistic ethics and integrity. And for that, I am very grateful. They are the kinds of persistent threats that keep Canadian intelligence leaders up at night. Foreign entities acting covertly to influence and subvert Canadian democracy. Global News has learned that those very things have already been happening here. 
with sources telling us that Beijing is pulling the strings. We are learning more about Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's informal talks today with China's president. Questions keep arising about Canada's relations with China. A man in Quebec accused of spying for Beijing. This is the first time this charge has been laid in Canada. I think we're all seeing uh, that China is taking a more uh, active role in the world. I've said it many times and I've said it to my counterpart, we won't accept any form of meddling of foreign governments in our elections and we won't tolerate any form of foreign interference at large in Canada, period. Stephen, Canadian-Chinese relations, like, I don't even know where to begin. There's like a bunch of different strands and I'm not sure they've been put together. Let's start with this global news scoop from November 7th. Sam Cooper, who is an investigative journalist who's been doing a lot of work and wrote a book on Canada's relationship with China. That is a crazy scoop. The story, it's very complicated as well. I don't think it's really gotten a lot of traction. It's causing a lot of political waves, but I didn't see it shared widely or discussed that much. But what's included in this, here, I'll, I'll just read from this. Canadian intelligence officials have warned Prime Minister Justin Trudeau that China has allegedly been targeting Canada with a vast campaign of foreign interference, which includes funding a clandestine network of at least 11 federal candidates running in the 2019 election, members from both the Liberal and Conservative parties, according to Global News sources. This is a movement to place agents into the offices of MPs in order to influence policy. It's an attempt to co-op and corrupt former Canadian officials to gain leverage in Ottawa. And it's a campaign to punish Canadian politicians whom the People's Republic of China views as threats to its interests. That sounds like a big deal to me. It is a really big deal. If you think about it, um, they're doing a lot more than what we know about, for instance, with Russiagate. But it's because it's the United States, obviously, they get more coverage. Overall, I don't think China or Xi Jinping, the president of China, really respects Canada as a country, as a global player. So he, in his mind, probably thinks, uh, why can't I? Why not? We're trying to run the world here, and you guys are a middling power, if that. We have a big diaspora in your country. We should be able to leverage that against your government if we so wish to do so. I think that uh, it's not a wild leap to say he does not respect Canada. And this video that was released just this week that was shot at the G20, this interaction between Justin Trudeau and Xi Jinping, like first we were reading news reports about how we were basically getting ghosted, like other leaders were getting sit downs with Xi and Justin Trudeau, it was really unclear to me, like, well, like, did he get like 10 seconds in an elevator? Like there was some kind of conversation yeah. and we're getting these reports that, you know, yeah, he, he brought up some concerns. He brought up some concerns about human rights abuses. He brought up some concerns about interference in Canadian democracy. And the new story got around like, yeah, don't worry, we raised our concerns. And then this video comes out and it's, it's a really hard thing to convey uh, in audio because like the body language between these two men, let's play it now. And... I will do my best to kind of translate. I, of course, can't translate the language here. I'll translate the, the body language here. Okay, so she kind of just like swaggers up to Trudeau, yep. like bully, like chest out, and Trudeau immediately is on his back heel. Everything we discussed is then leaked to the paper. That's not appropriate. And that's not how the way the conversation was conducted. And to translate the body language, she is basically like, 
hey, fuck boy, I've been reading in the press that, that uh, you know, everything that we talked about got leaked. What the fuck's up with that? That's not how this is supposed to be done. And furthermore, the way that it's being conveyed, that's not the conversation that I remember. I don't remember you being such a tough guy. And Trudeau is just like, oh, he's just completely caught well, flat foot. If in there Canada, was sincerity on your part. Free and open and frank dialogue, and that is what we will continue to have. We will continue to look to work constructively together, but there will be things we will disagree on, and we will have And then he seems really caught off guard. In fact, he actually kind of like interjects before the translator can finish translating. And says something to the effect of like, I hope we can still talk. Let's create the conditions first. And she's response is like, I guess that'll depend on uh, getting the proper conditions being like, basically it's conditional whether we can still talk. Uh, does that does that jive with your read of, of what we see in that video? The overall context, uh, the overall vibe, I guess, is that of a disapproving Chinese father talking disappointingly to his son, pretty much, after telling him to do something and he didn't do it. <laughs> I'm Chinese myself, obviously come from a Chinese family. I can relate in a way. <laughs> yeah, he, and he really feels like like he's like, look, I'm going to call you out on this bullshit, but it's not like I care. Like he, his, his gestures are kind of like, ah, like this guy. And I'm not even sure that we got all of it because in the analysis of this, Charles Burton on Twitter said that the translator didn't actually accurately convey to Trudeau everything that she was saying because there was a phrase that was a lot more threatening. He actually says a phrase that can be translated, otherwise it is hard to say what will happen. Yeah. Okay. So the this is a big debate on Twitter this morning. Uh-huh. The term is called fozua. Fozua in Mandarin does mean technically it means otherwise. Uh-huh. And he says, yada, yada, yada. You know, you have to create the right conditions. Um, you have to keep things, you know, between the, the two of us. Uh, otherwise we don't know what the results might be or we don't know what might happen. I know it sounds very ominous when you kind of translate it into English, but it's much more ambiguous. Fozua means otherwise. It doesn't necessarily mean like, hey, like otherwise, you know, you'll see what happens. You'll see what I can do or something. It can mean something threatening, but not necessarily. Not necessarily. Uh They're making a big deal out of it online. And there are people like tweeting that they're adamant that it's, it's an absolute threat. But this is the leader of China we're talking about. He knows there's a camera. Okay, this is an important conference, the G20 summit. He would not, I don't think, threaten openly Uh, at another head of state like that uh, in this fashion. I'm very, I would be very surprised. That's helpful context because it's hard to know how how to read this stuff. I mean, you know, the overriding vibe is just one of a guy saying like, I saw what you did. And it ain't cool, but I don't really care. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, he did convey that. He's upset. And the opposite would be what you would expect, or I don't know if you'd expect it, but it would make more sense for Trudeau to have his finger in she's face saying like, hey, we just learned that you've been interfering in our democracy. I want to actually talk about this a little bit. And you brought up the whole idea of Russiagate. I think we've diluted the idea of Russian interference. And we've been talking about Russian interference in our democracy so much. And often what you're talking about is a propaganda machine that is almost algorithmically set Mm -hmm. to stoke whatever divisive, like basically if there's a divisive social issue or political issue in Canada, then certain Russian propaganda channels will boost it. Absolutely. It almost happens by default. That is an order of magnitude less severe than Beijing infiltrating campaigns for MPs with policy objectives, funding those MPs, pressuring MPs towards like, that is uh, more of a like 
a fundamental intrusion into Canadian democracy. No, no question. I think um, either do something about it or you better get used to it. And it's not just China. I think India does the same thing across the world. Uh, it, it has a huge diaspora community just in the West. China, ever since 2013, is, has been doing this kind of thing. This is obviously like a structural intrusion into Canadian democracy, but it's not uh, the first time China or Beijing has, through its consulates, I don't believe through the embassy, but at least through one consulate in Toronto, has been trying to influence Canadian civil society. I want to be really careful here, and actually our producer, Aviva, is telling me, like, be careful, Jesse, we don't know if these were candidates who were influenced or funded, or if these are actually successful candidates who became MPs. And I think that a lot of this is we don't know, and, and in not knowing what exactly the threat is or who... I think that there's a danger of like, I don't want to like fall into some like xenophobic trap of like, oh, because now it's like the question is, who are these 11 candidates and are they MPs? And of course, yeah. your, your mind is going to go like, okay, well, who's going to be influenced by Beijing? Are we talking about Asian candidates here? But I think that, you know, there is a danger of just sort of like a red scare racism here. I know that there's a coalition of MPs who are pushing for an inquiry into this. Sam Cooper at Global, we've asked him, like, will you come on the show and talk about this further? And he's being very delicate about this. Other people are telling me, like, oh, everybody on the inside knows who we're talking about when we're talking about which candidates. Like, mm-hmm. Stephen, do you know who these candidates are? I have no idea who they are. I think it's it's probably a good idea to keep in mind. It's an intelligence report or a bunch of briefs from earlier this year. I mean, I guess some people have seen it. Some people haven't. I don't know who inside Ottawa has seen it. There's a debate about who should see these are briefs. We have to be pretty careful about that. I have some names in mind, like, you know, just guessing, but I have no idea. Like, I, I mean, you no... wouldn't want to guess, but it feels like there's so many questions. I mean, the first one is, who are these people? Did they win? Did they know that their campaigns were infiltrated? Did they yeah. know that they were accepting money from Beijing? If so, what do they owe Beijing? What's going to be done about it? Like, you would think that these would be burning questions. And here's our prime minister right before the G20. Like, Melanie Jolie has been taking a very tough stand, and, and it feels like they've decided to divvy up, like, I'll be the soft diplomacy, Justin, and, and Melanie Jolie will, will be the one who will say, we, we won't accept this kind of uh, intrusion. But, you know, here's a long-simmering issue of, like, Justin Trudeau has no trouble recognizing that cultural genocide was practiced in Canada on indigenous people, but is yet to use that word to describe Uyghur genocide uh, from Beijing. And here he was right before the G20 question about that. Today, you took an emotional tour of Cambodia's genocide museum. Tomorrow, you're going to be at the G20 with China. Now, the Canadian parliament has already called China's treatment of the Uyghurs a genocide. So why haven't you? As I've seen when I visited the Shoah Memorial, Holocaust Memorial in Israel, as I've seen, as I visited the genocide memorial in Rwanda, as I saw today visiting and seeing the history of the genocide. Am I pausing? And speaking slowly (laughs) because of the severity and solemnity of genocide, (laughs) or is it because I don't know what to say? I can't tell either. This is one of the four or five issues that China is so incredibly sensitive about. He's probably trying to consider a lot of things, but it's like... 
when it, when it comes to these territorial issues, which is how Beijing views this genocide that's ongoing in uh, in Xinjiang or East Turkestan. Mm-hmm. It's like along with Taiwan, along with Hong Kong, Tibet. It's something that's like just uh, totally anathema. Yeah. It goes on and on. The Globe and Mail and others, RCMP lays historic first charge of economic espionage against a former Hydro-Quebec researcher. A man named Yusheng Wang is facing four criminal charges involving an alleged conspiracy to spy on his employer, Hydro-Quebec. He was accused of handing over trade secrets. He will not be released on bail. He's deemed a flight risk. And just last month, we were reading stories about how... There are, like, secret police stations. That's right. In Canada. Beijing has set up, like, in convenience stores or in, like, just storefronts. There's just, like, they are doing law enforcement on behalf of Beijing on Canadian soil. And they're putting uh, a lot of Chinese-Canadian families and people in, in terrible situations because people have family in mainland China. And this all comes when, you know, CBC just pulled their last reporter. Foreign reporting in Canada, not so good. Not in great shape. I'm the one putting all of these different things. Like, I haven't read a story that's looking at all of these things as part of, like, a larger story. Maybe there's a reason for that. I don't want to be, like, connecting red thread on a, on a big board. But it does feel like it all does fall under the category of Chinese-Canadian relations. Mm-hmm. You have to ask, like, I appreciate that if I'm saying Trudeau should be taking a much tougher stand, well, that might have big consequences. But I think we're being pushed to a limit of, like, well, under what circumstances do you accept that those relations may suffer because the the incursions and that, like, we're being told pretty clearly that we don't give a fuck about yeah. your democracy or the traditionally held diplomatic lines as to if they're setting up cop shops. Yeah. You know, they're kind of violating basic ideas of the nation state here. Well, I think it's we've known for a couple of years or so that there is like three of these police, like police station, quote unquote, addresses. We know through a report out of Spain, of all places, an NGO out of Spain, that uh, there's there's three of them in Toronto alone. Mm-hmm. One of them is a private home. The other one is a kind of business association. And one more is a somewhere in a mall somewhere in the GTA. I don't know exactly where it is. But this is the fox hunt kind of like... Um, uh, chasing after fugitives as well as dissidents around the world. And it's hard to know sometimes which one is which uh, when it comes to China because, I mean, I don't think uh, Canadian investigators necessarily, I mean, they obviously don't know, like, a lot of these things are happening. And so uh, nobody really knows. And sometimes it's they say they're chasing after economic fugitives or people who are, like, doing insider dealing or something in the stock markets in China. Um, that's supposed there's supposed to be a big sweep about that or corruption in China supposedly there's a big sweep about that but a lot of the times it's just people who are being harassed by Beijing mm-hmm. and have been harassed by Beijing for years and years and again this is not new and it is part of a larger thing it is a part of a larger kind of China flexing its muscles around the world trying to be a global power they're struggling with COVID they're struggling with demography and a lot of other things but Xi Jinping's biggest concern or one of his major priorities is to make sure that the West takes him seriously, by which he means like a couple of countries in Europe and the United States. And he couldn't care less if, uh, you know, what Canada does or doesn't do. But when we kind of step on his toes, like we did when we uh, we took down the executive from Huawei, yeah, he gets pissed or he gets pissed here in Bali at the G20 summit. He thinks you guys don't have the stature, the status internationally to mess with me like this. 
You know, I run these things like, you know, we're the future of this planet. We're Asia. The summit is in Asia. I'm not here to talk to you. Okay, you want to talk to me? You have to quote unquote create the conditions. You got to kiss the ring. And I note that Australia got to sit down, and I think that that might be a backlash for Meng, huh? Well, yeah. I mean, the backlash for, for um, are, are you talking about the, the the Huawei executive? Yeah. Well, the backlash for her was, I mean, he took two Canadians and put them in jail. Well, that was the most clear and direct. They almost died in there. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, this is hostage diplomacy. And, and, that's right. And for all of our, like, we won't bargain, we bargained. You know, yeah. that, that's our legal system. Well, no, we bargained. We made it, we, we cut a deal. I want to ask this finally before we move on. It would be impossible to, like, neatly summarize the discourse. You know, what is happening on another part of media in Canada, the, the, the Chinese discourse about this on various platforms uh, contains multitudes. And it's generational, too. There are, like, pro-democracy Hong Kong voices. There are uh, loyalists to mainland voices. There's a lot of stuff in the mix. And then there's a lot of paid stuff and spam in the mix. And there's a lot of, like, rigorous partisanship in the mix. Yeah. What's the atmosphere like? Is, th- is this stuff heating up there as well? And what's your read as somebody who keeps an eye on it? Well, I mean, there's been a lot of reporting about this, mostly in non-Canadian organs, unfortunately, despite the fact that we have millions of Chinese Canadians in this country, um, that most Chinese immigrants or people with a connection to China, international students or whatever the case may be, they all communicate mostly through WeChat and other Chinese uh, platforms. But WeChat is basically, I mean, it's monitored tightly by the Chinese government. Mm-hmm. If you want to talk about, for example, a very, you know, sensitive issue or sen- sensitive part of Chinese history, and then you type those words, those words will probably disappear, mm-hmm. right? It's like, imagine if you're on your WhatsApp and you're like, hey, um, did you see that item today in the CBC about mass graves of indigenous kids in Saskatchewan or something? And then two minutes later, like the, the text bubble would disappear or something like that. It's chilling. I had one reporting assignment where I was in Guangzhou, excuse my pronunciation, and went to an internet cafe and, and you know, just like, okay, let me try this out and was searching for Tiananmen Square and things like that. And uh, like, yeah. it, it, like it, the screen okay. froze. Yeah, like, so you it, know. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck is happening? I've never seen like anything It's specific like that. things, like specific issues, like the Uyghur genocide, Tiananmen Square. There's like a half a dozen things or so that China is just like, in their mind is just is no, nobody else's business but ours. Mm-hmm. And we can't have any dissent whatsoever. And what Xi Jinping did was like, once he got in power, he put tens of thousands of people in this part of his government called the United Front, which is mentioned in the in the Global Report. It's been reported quite a bit, again, not really in Canadian media, mm-hmm. in the US media. There's a big report out of some securities commission in the United States, that's like the only real report about this anywhere in the English-speaking sort of space. Uh-huh. Maybe Australia has something because they're always obsessed about China. But um, that's the only one you can really find that's really accessible. That gives you like a history of what the United Front does, who they are, and stuff like that. And it sounds super sinister, but all it is really is just is just influence campaign. Right. Like that's what he wants. This is like the international PR wing. This is the propaganda. Yeah, because we don't. We're a globalized international community. There's no. The borders are more and more porous these days. Yeah. So if you want to be a global player, you can't just care about your region. You can't just about care about this, that, and the other. Like you have a huge diaspora around the world. If you're running China, you're you know basically a dictatorship. You're trying to influence everybody through. You might as well leverage your diaspora. That's what what it comes down to. I think. That's just wild. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, 
there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars And I I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Stephen, we're going to duly note some things that people need, need to know more about. I'm ready for this duly noted session. All right, me too. I want to duly note that our public broadcaster, the CBC, is there to represent the interests of all Canadians, increasingly including landlords. Lot of landlord sympathy on the CBC. Man sleeping in his car says tenants owe more than $31,000 but won't leave his rental property. Landlord sleeping on realtor's couch as he awaits a hearing to evict his troublesome tenants. Mom and daughter face homelessness after buying a home and their tenants refuse to leave. Small landlords who became homeless during pandemic blame the broken system. Apparently, Canada is facing a huge crisis of homeless landlords. You kind of took mine. Are you kidding me? (laughs) You were going to do the landlord? We can talk about it together. I'm going to blow everyone's mind because everybody was very judgmental about the CBC's landlord advocacy. Uh-huh, yeah. And I'm willing to make space in my heart for the poor landlords. Like, I don't like the kind of, like, class war bullshit of just, like, fuck this guy for trying to do well in capitalism. Let him sleep in his car. Yeah. I have sympathy for somebody who has to sleep. I, I mean, ultimately, this comes down to, like, yeah, it can be shitty if you get screwed with a tenant who refuses to leave. I think that's probably true. But in a push of interests where if the landlord wins, you're throwing people out onto the curb, I kind of get why the tenant wins for a while. Yeah. I get that, and I, I accept that. Definitely. The problem is... These things aren't getting resolved fast enough. Yeah. The landlord-tenant board. I mean, this is something everybody in my life is talking about, like, ad nauseum, because I have so many friends who are either renting or, like, trying to rent out their space or subletting or something. And everybody has, like, a story or a bunch of stories, and they have unresolved legal sort of, like, disputes 
um, even though if you know like their space is a tiny space and they're charging like a thousand bucks for it or something, and they have to wait so long. These things just kind of fester, and everybody is either losing money one way or the other. And the thing I was going to bring up was this woman, who's actually like, I guess she is a landlord, but she hasn't been able to move into her new house in in Orleans, in uh-huh. Ottawa. I'm not sure if you saw this. No. A, a black a black woman who lost her job, who has an autistic daughter, and she bought a, a place that came with a tenant who doesn't pay rent and doesn't want to leave. So she wants to get that resolved. Obviously, you know, like we don't yeah. know we don't know the details about like you know what the tenant's situation is. Maybe you know he or she or they have a you know really tough situation as well. But this kind of thing needs to get resolved in, in at the board at, in the courts. And she was told that her application to be heard at the board was too full of quote unquote literary flourishes or something like that, and they rejected her her application. Wow. Except uh, the CBC, <laughs> it's funny how you mentioned the CBC, uh, came into the rescue, I guess. <laughs> no, they're there for the landlords. They're actively soliciting these stories. Yeah, exactly. And in this case, I think, I mean, they were, maybe it did a little bit of good. And the story didn't, it wasn't covered by a lot of people, a lot of uh, outlets, but a lot of people kind of like voiced their, their opinions on social media and stuff. And now the LTB has decided to hear her case finally. In December. It's just such an insane mess. I think people get mad because everybody knows, and it is true, that for every one uh, tenant from hell, there are like a thousand landlords from hell. Yeah. And I think people's sympathy, uh, by and large, is, is in the right place. But I do, I do just feel like that doesn't mean that stories like that, and actually that was one of the ones in the headlines I was just citing, like those people matter too. CBC, stop tearing us apart. The system is broke. Housing is broken in Canada. Yeah, and, and the housing regulatory the system is exactly. broken in Canada. And if you want to know why these stories get published again and again and again, I spoke to a publisher at a different magazine about these, these hate click stories. The reason is they do bonkers traffic. People love these stories. People can relate to them. Yeah. Like people have a tough time finding a decent place to live. And Doug Ford doesn't care about the fact that these disputes are like the landlord-tenant board is a broken system. They're supposed to hear these disputes within a few weeks. People are now waiting for like upwards of a year or something. Yeah, that, that is the problem. The lack of housing and the, and the lack of a regulatory framework. And full disclosure, I have tenants, okay, but uh, don't add me. <laughs> I, you know, I'll keep clicking on these stories and uh, everyone else will too and then get enraged by them. And, you know, we'll just repeat that. Sounds good. Duly noted. Stephen, we uh, we did a duly noted together. It's a, it's, a, it's a shortcuts first. We're pioneers here. I have a second one, and it's actually a crowdfunding message. I just want to say membership has its benefits. It's not membership. We, we have supporters. We don't, we're not a club. We don't have members. But, but like, supportership has uh, – it's pretty great. We just posted that for our supporters, tickets to a Backbench Live taping with Matteo Roach and hundreds of people very quickly – responded. And I, I'm looking forward to these things. We've got a year of this sort of thing planned for people who decide to become Canada Land supporters. I was a guest on Slate's political gab fest when they came to Toronto. And they did a live taping here at a, at a theater. And they said, can you come an hour early and come to this meet and greet? Because we're going to meet our listeners and come have a drink on us. And I thought, what the hell is this? Who, who's going to come to meet podcast hosts who are visiting Toronto. Mm. And it was the most fun thing ever. Like they, they filled the room, these very charismatic and smart hosts of Slate's show. And all of these Torontonians were like just 
there to have a chat with a podcast host who they've listened to for, for years. Wow. And it was like actually like, wow. And it wasn't just talking to the hosts because like this was a way for smart people to get together and talk to each other. When was this? This was like a good two years ago or oh, so. Okay, okay. Anyhow, I really realized at that point like podcast listeners are – like I hate the word community, but it, it is a way that people who have similar interests and who care about shit and who try to be smart have something in common. And when people fuel Canada land, that's a pretty great uh, set of common interests. So I don't know. I just kind of wanted to – what's the word? Bite their shit and copy what they're doing. <laughs> but what I've realized – we've been doing events over the years here and there, but we're really focusing on it now. And it's cool to meet the people who support us and it's cool for those people to meet each other. And it's like an important little vector in our society of people who like care about good discourse and want to go out for a night of like interesting conversation uh, to a podcast taping. We're doing this stuff all year. We're doing it online and in person. We're going to go around the country. We are going to have AMAs, our bonus content game. Like if you listen to Ratfucker, there are a couple of bonus episodes to that series that are just as well as the series itself. We're going to be doing this all year, and it's 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 a way of us sort of nourishing the people who nourish us. Awesome. Go to canadaland.com slash join. Become a supporter. We're on our way. We're not there yet to do everything we want to do this year, but we want to meet you. Canadaland.com slash join, or click the link on the show notes. Don't overthink this. It's an easy one. We'll make you pretty happy that you did. Duly noted. On this Monday night, Canadian doctors send out an SOS. Hospitals crowded with sick children. It's bringing a triple threat that we rarely see at this time of the year. Three viruses at the same time hitting children particularly hard. Certainly in my 25 years in pediatrics, I haven't seen the viral infection load like this. The average wait time in Ontario emergency rooms has hit a new record high. New data from Health Quality Ontario reveals patients spent an average of over 21 hours waiting to be admitted to hospital in September. Uh, shit is real in hospitals. Oh, is, yeah. These are children. And, and that's like, that is dry compared to the actual accounts that I'm hearing from parents. Journalist Erin Millar had a Twitter thread about her visit. Like, when your kid is, is seriously ill, like these kids are seriously ill and you have to yell or advocate or you're waiting for hours and you're afraid for your kid's life. Like, it's people are having breakdowns. People are getting violent. People are like, we are failing our kids right now. It's almost like what we were most afraid of when we didn't know what the coronavirus was or who it would affect. And what would a worst case scenario would be if it strikes down children and our healthcare system cannot deal with it. And thank God that didn't happen. And it is happening now. And the media coverage, like the Globe ran a masthead editorial where first they described just how dire this is. Parents and their children are facing frightening wait times up to 12 hours in ERs. It's a perfect viral storm, a hospital system that's still struggling, severe staff burnout, a tsunami of respiratory infections in young children who are never exposed to common viruses, should have been spread out over their young years. It's all hitting everybody at once. Then they go through, what is the science saying? Ontario's chief medical officer of health, Dr. Kieran Moore, strongly recommends that everybody wear a mask in indoor settings, schools, daycares. Uh, Theresa Tam made the same recommendation. Many doctors and hospital officials, Dr. Fahad Razak, the former scientific director of the old uh, science advisory table, which has since been abandoned, said the criteria to require a mask mandate is here. And where does the globe land on this? It's a thorny issue. <laughs> a mask mandate, even one lasting only a few weeks, could impose real burdens on businesses. 
it's a thorny, it's not a thorny issue. It's unanimous. Like, I'm perplexed here because the narrative was that we were not just a bunch of sheeple doing what we were told when we followed the mandates. Mm -hmm. We were listening to the science. It was not arbitrary. It was not cultural. It was not political. It was not a government seizing undue power over our lives. It was the science. And now the science is saying something very clear. And the results are not speculative or hypothetical that this might hurt children. It's happening. And the only reason why Doug Ford and the media are basically saying like, eh, is political or financial. So which is it? Like, it seems like we're making a decision to not mandate this purely because it has become politically toxic and because we, I, I, I hate masks. I'm not wearing them. I fucking hate masks. I don't want it. But, and, and I kind of might need to be told to wear a mask because what's the reason, Stephen? I think it's hypocrisy. I'm hypocrite. You hear me yelling here. I haven't been wearing one and I'm not mask hesitant. I'm mask lazy, you know, like, yeah, well. like it, because I'm like, well, what does it matter if I put on, like, if you force me to put one on, I'll put one on and everyone else will too. And that will have an effect. But like now I'm in these situations where it's like, I don't know, one out of 10 people in the building we work in is wearing one. And like, I don't want to have to, but I would do it if I had to. Well, I think, uh, the attitude you have probably has won out over time <laughs> among a lot of lots, masses and masses of people because the science, it's never not being subject to just people's like people's ideas of how they they have freedom, like how they are as individuals and whether or not they should be told to do this, that or the other. Like I, I always thought the the science was probably not going to win out at the end of the day because in order to convince people, you can't just have numbers, you can't just have facts, really. I don't think that's really what motivates people mm-hmm. uh, because on a day-to-day basis, people have to live their lives. Like, like for example, you don't like wearing one. You have to be forced to wear one. But how do you convince people is like governments aren't good at narratives. Like you can't. But our laws don't require convincing, right? Like we stop on a red, even if some of us feel like that curtails our personal, like, hey, no one's around. Yeah. You still stop on the red. Like I'm saying, please force me to do this because it's it, like the voluntary basis thing here. I don't consider this. There are things that I get maybe too prickly about as intrusions on my personal freedom. Um, being forced to wear a mask is like, it's not one of them, you know, and, and it's the kind of thing that like, it's such a callow decision because it would work and 98% of people would follow it. And, and it would keep kids I, I don't know. out of hospitals. I don't know if 98% of people would follow it. I think that the pushback would be somewhere in the two to, to maybe 2 to 10% range. Mm. The health benefit would be there. If yeah. you made it a mandate, every workplace would require it. TTC would require it. We saw that it worked. And there would be political pushback. And it I, would re-engage, it would re-engage the anti-vaxxers. And that's what Doug Ford, he does, he does not want to re-engage them. And it's, it's, it's very unpopular with, with a very vocal minority. Yeah. And that's what he's afraid of. And, and that's on the backs of kids who are going to get sick. And like, I, I don't know what I'd do if my kid got sick. I don't think I'd take them to a, like, I'd, I'd drive to Buffalo or something. It is a horrible time to get sick. My friend who's a loved one as basically a really w- rare form of cancer and is in severe pain was in a hospital and they made her wait for like over a day, pretty much like in the hallways, pretty much. And that's the thing too, is because it's true. These kids are getting very, very ill, but they're not dying from these respiratory illnesses. Right. But other yeah. people, other people are not getting the care that they need. Other people are not getting the surgeries that they need. Yeah. It's really bad. And nurses are are quitting because yeah. whatever bill this, that, and the other won't raise their, their wages. And 
it's too much to deal with. And um, maybe they want to show that they want a, a public system that is struggling so they can privatize a few things here and there. That'll be the outcome, too. It, do, it doesn't necessarily hurt the long-term objectives of, I don't think it's like a big, huge predicted conspiracy from the start, but the outcome of this public system failing is not outside of the interests of the Doug Ford government. Why the globe is like, and they kind of land on a like a shrug. They don't actually say that they're against the mandate, but they, they basically give a very strong justification for not having one. I don't think Canada's ready. <laughs> I mean, a mask mandate, like, enshrined in law with, like, fines or, I, I don't know, like... We did it. Yeah. Like, we need it for, like, three weeks. Like, we, we need it just to get over this hump, you know? Yeah. But it wasn't enforced very... Uh, I mean, I mean, it, it would help. It would help. But... It was obeyed more than it was enforced. Like, the fact that it was a mandate... Yeah. I don't remember there being widespread scoff law uh, yeah. <laughs> violations. We did it. We did it because we had to. You know, it's it's funny because the slippery slope argument during the mandates that if we let the government force us to do all these different things, then that power grab will become permanent, it will become entrenched, they'll do it all the time. And just the opposite has happened, right? They're terrified to do it again. Yeah. Having done it once, you know, and maybe they did overdo it, you know, the mandates were longer here than elsewhere, but having done it once and like largely people complied with it from a scientific basis, what it was trying to accomplish, it accomplished and our numbers were better than elsewhere. And now they won't do it. They won't do a thing that worked. Miss politics. I mean, they don't want, I, the one thing is the, the super loud anti-vaxxers and stuff. And maybe they're afraid that the noise is such that, I mean, if you just spend all day online, like a lot of vocal people are not convinced even by the, the scientific results of the positive results. Like they don't, for whatever conspiratorial reason they have in their mind, yeah. they're not convinced of those facts. Like, again, it's like we're living in a world where it's like the black and white facts just don't matter anymore. Did they ever, like, who, who gives a shit? Like, like, was the majority of the population convinced of anything that we had to do over the last, you know, couple of centuries? Or did we just not have the technological means to know whether or not people were convinced? I mean, now that everybody is able to express whether they're convinced or not, do we have to suddenly care whether they're convinced or not? Like, stop on a red light. I don't care if you're convinced that it's a good idea. <laughs> That's shortcuts. That's all. All right, Stephen, thank you for joining me. Thank you. We are on Twitter at CanadaLand. I can be emailed at jesse at canadaland.com, and I do read everything that you send. Stephen, Joe, where can people find you? They can find me on Twitter at uh, Stephen, Z-Z-H-O-U. Listen, if you haven't listened to Commons, uh, this week's episode of their series on monopolies in Canada is all about big milk, and uh, it happens to be awesome. Check it out. This episode is produced by Aviva Lassard with additional production by Tristan Capicione. Our production coordinator is Andre Proulx. Theme music is by SoCult. Syndications by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. You can visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you value this podcast, any of our podcasts, anything that we do here, uh, please support us. We rely on listeners like you paying for the journalism that you consume. And as a supporter, you will get premium access to all of our shows, ad-free, early releases, bonus content, our exclusive newsletter, discounts on our merch, invites and tickets to our live and virtual events. More than anything, you will be a part of the solution to the journalism crisis in this country. You'll be keeping our work free and accessible for everybody. Join us now. Click the link in your show notes. Go to canadaland.com slash join. You can listen ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime.
hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you.